0: That little phone in your hand that you're listening to this podcast on over a wireless network, it has a lot in common with Bologna University, founded in 1088. Let me do the math for you. That's 934 years ago. I'm Tommaso.
1: And I'm Kimberly Holcomb. Benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italian. And in this episode, all things Bolognese. <laughs> and you know what Bolognese means, Tommaso, correct? My taste buds are in overdrive right now. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> it, it has its own culture, Bolognese, ragu. So don't fear, we'll get there eventually. But let's start by chatting about one of my favorite, favorite cities in Belle Italia. Bologna. It is the capital of the region of Emilia Romana, which most of you know is home to some of the best deliciousness in all of Italy Parmigiano, Parma ham, Balsamico di Modena. Stop my taste buds, please. (laughs) It also bears the honor of being the birthplace of that little red car, the Ferrari. We will dedicate an entire episode or two to amelia romana at some point but for today a solo da bologna it's all about bologna okay this city has a lot of different phrases or nicknames the most common one is la dota la rosa la Grassa. those three words stand for the learned the red and the fat the learned La Dotta, referring to the University of Bologna, which is the oldest one in the world. La Rossa, the red, due to the city's red rooftops and red stone buildings. And finally, La Grassa, the fat, due or really the fat one. It refers to due to its cuisine, its delicious cucina italiana. Allora. Isn't isn't this the place where local
0: lore is? This is where the Italians go to eat.
1: Yes, that's why we named this episode that. That's one of the phrases. You just brought that in a little early, but that's okay. You <laughs> said it. We're good there. Yes, Bologna, where the Italians go to eat. Allora, this part is molto, molto importante. I want to share that my very first time in my life in Italy was when I stepped foot in Bologna. Seriously, first place I ever went to. It was after my junior year abroad in Valencia, Spain, and I had one long train ride left on my student Eurorail pass. Do you remember hearing about those? Yes. They were inexpensive considering how far you could get around. So I decided to go to Bologna, the only place where I knew someone living in Italy other than the Great Dane that I mentioned earlier, Pear, up in Denmark. So Anna Rita Marini was also a foreign exchange student at my high school in Chicago, along with, with Pear. And I knew that she was living in Bologna with her boyfriend because he was going to university there. So I wrote her a letter, and yes, on one of those old-fashioned, thin papers. They were almost like translucent and it was a letter that folded into an envelope. Remember those? It was like two for one. Way back when we wrote horses. Har, 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 har. Funny, funny. No, but
0: there wasn't, you were, you say you were one of those people, but that was the way to communicate.
1: But they originated in Europe. So people in Europe were charged a lot more money for a heavy Heavy, letter. Same in America. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So I wrote one of those letters And mailed it from Valencia, Spain to Bologna and said, my school's over on such and such a date. I'm going to take a train and I'll be there probably in the afternoon. Not waiting for a response like we'll be here. No, of course not, because that would be (laughs) another four and a half weeks to get the letter, if that. So I had her address. I got off the train, walked through the little historic center of Bologna, looking around thinking, Dio mio, this is beautiful and old. And I rang the Chitofano, the doorbell, and there she was, Ana Rita. I hadn't seen her in three years since we all graduated from high school outside Chicago. So we walked up the four or five flights with my big heavy backpack, you know, the kind with that like aluminum frame and a... And a rolled up um, sleeping bag on the bottom. It was smelly. It was gross from everywhere, <laughs> from where everywhere I'd already been that year. Anyway, we walk up the four flights to her cute little apartment. And then I met her even cuter boyfriend. And I was thinking, what was I doing in Spain for a year? I could have been here in Italy. <laughs> anyway, and then they opened a ball of wine, which was so much better than the wine in in Spain. And then we're chatting and they casually made a pasta ragu, which is tagliatelle bolognese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the correct name. They don't say bolognese, uh, they say ragu. Yes. And I wasn't really eating meat in those days, but I, I was being polite and I went for it. And as I mentioned, Tommaso, we will get into the whole underground life of bolognese later. The next morning, they wanted to show me his university, and he couldn't speak English. She did from her year in, in Illinois, and she said something like, it's very, very old. Okay, so everything in that I was seeing in Bologna was so much older than Valencia, but let me preface this by saying that my university in Valencia, that university itself was old-ish for Spain, but my classes were in these very unattractive, like brutalist buildings. And to be honest, Valencia at the time was in a very weird and edgy transitional state. And that's because it was basically only six years after their dictator Franco died and the transition to democracy was slow. And to be honest, like most of my teachers and the people I knew, the people I befriended there were kind of reluctant about it. So Valencia in those days was nothing like it is now, which is apparently a very beautiful city. So when I was walking around Bologna, I was like, oh, this is beautiful. The wine is delicious. Like, well, so when Anarita and her boyfriend, whom, by the way, I cannot remember his name. I tried for the last few days to think about it, but I couldn't. So let's just call him Bello, Okay. Bello. Like Bella, but bello. Why did you just say hottie right off the bat? Well, no, let's stick with bello. <laughs> Sounds a little more professional. So bello walked me into the courtyard, the main courtyard of the University of Bologna. And I so clearly, perfectly remember that moment as being the first time that I literally, I know I use this phrase all the time, but it was the first time I literally was stopped in my tracks just from walking into this courtyard was the most beautiful thing I had ever, ever seen. And during my year in Valencia, I traveled to Sevilla, Madrid, Cordoba. I, I went everywhere and there's incredibly beautiful architecture there as well. But there was something about this courtyard at the University of Bologna. And literally, I just was mesmerized. And what blew me away the most was the fact that this two-storied courtyard with these columns surrounded you, but the ceilings of these arched columns were painted with coats of arms, like an unbelievable array of different coats of arms with each one with a little depiction inside. It would take you years to know what the story was behind each one, but it was repetitive under each of these archways, just... Coats of arms in different directions and combined, it was one of the most beautiful things I have ever, ever seen. Well, let's,
0: let. can I interject here? Sure. Now that we're talking about the university, before you get on to talking about Bella. (laughs) Bella. Yes. (laughs) This university, as I mentioned in the opening, you know, been around since 1088, but the people educated here have made a distinct impact on our lives. So that phone that we all hold every day, 24-7, that is a development of radio. And Marconi was the first person to develop the telegraph and wireless transmission. And Marconi was not only from Bologna, but he went to Bologna University. So without Marconi, maybe it would have taken a few more years before we'd all have these phones that we're addicted to as we are today not to mention everything that came before these phones and wireless networks and everything else. And the second person educated here, but we've talked about, or we love talking about architecture and art, was Battista Alberti. So Alberti was also educated here. And everyone knows, he's an artist, architect, mathematician, but maybe you don't know, he was the inventor of cryptography.
1: And cryptography... Is encryption. Okay.
0: So whatever they
1: would... That's funny because the word crypt, like an Egyptian crypt, right?
0: You're enclosed. You're sealed. Right. sealed inside. That's so cool. So he invented cryptography. And uh, there's a long story about that. It's quite interesting, particularly everything we deliver today over the web is HTTPS, which is encrypted.
1: Right. So he invented cryptography. And the other... version of it that we... Then put into
0: Well, yeah, it was a, it was technology. a, a really early version. 1.0. <laughs> 1. <0. laughs> like, like 1450 or so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, point, point 0001. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the other person who went to Bologna University was Copernicus. <gasps> and Copernicus proved that we rotated around
1: the sun, not the sun rotating around us. Copernico is his name in Italian. He was one smart dude. Yes, he was born in Poland, too.
0: However, to Italian parents. So Bologna University has had a long history over the years of changing the world.
1: So all of that is quite true. Very smart gentlemen went to this university. But the reason it has the reputation or the title of being the oldest university in, in the world is because it's continued continually been operating since 1088 other universities were founded in 800 or something like one in fez morocco as a matter of fact but it is it's not a university anymore so this is the oldest continual source of education in the world very wow. very cool and so that right there is so impressive and significant but also as impressive or even more so is the The building, the buildings, the interiors, it is like a museum. And some publication, like a British publication recently, within the last few years, claimed it was the most beautiful institution in the world, architecturally, inside and out. When Bello and Honorita walked me through the hallways alone, it's almost like the hallway of the Vatican sculptures everywhere, these tiled floors, murals, life-size sculptures. It's literally like a museum. And at that point in my life, the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. And you just felt this aura of accomplishment, not only just from the scholars in there, but all the artwork. It was as if they were as important as Michelangelo and Raphael and Leonardo da Vinci, every artwork that was made to be in this university was so significant that you couldn't help but think that. And at that point in my life, I had never been to a museum in Italy. And that was my first foray <laughs> into it. I was like, you Uffizi, whatever. <laughs> well,
0: I have a, I have one thing to say. I've never been to Bologna, but considering, as you know, my love of libraries and going oh. to school in Boston and architecture and classical architecture, and my love of Ragù.
1: <laughs> if we go there, you might have a hard time asking me to leave. <laughs> I know, I was thinking, little apartment, <laughs> pied de terre in Bologna, sounds good. In summary, Bologna so deserves that first word of their nickname, la dota, scholarly, erudite, and of great knowledge. Pretty, right? It certainly is, without a doubt. Now, on to the second word, La Rosa. It derives primarily from its red roofs. Every single building in Bologna has these red tiled roofs. And you can best see them from the top of the tower called Asinelli, which is one of the two towers that make up that symbol of Bologna. The Asinelli and the Garicenda towers, both built around 1100 by two families and with those being their surnames. And it's the same old story as every other Italian village with towers. Remember, Tommaso, our episode on San Gimignano? Yes. The competition? Yes. It's the same story. Whomever can build the higher tower wins, basically. (laughs) You know, time hasn't really changed, has it? Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And finally, the last word of the three, la Grassa. The fat one. Actually, that just means fat, but they refer... Bologna as the fat one. And it's not that the Bolognese people are overweight in general or fat, but basically if we all lived there and if we ate their cuisine every day of the year, you could potentially be a, quote, grasa. <laughs> and speaking of grasa and their cuisine, let me just give you a quick mention of Bologna's specialties. But I think another entire episode will be Dedicated to the cuisine, the Cucina Italiana of Bologna, because, as I mentioned before, and you did as well, we named this episode Where Italians Go to Eat for a reason. But for now, I'll just give you a few of the top 10, let's say. Number one comes in with the mortadella. That's that big, huge, round, baloney looking tube thing with white little squares in it. And you know what the white is? Uh. That's grassa. Number two, tagliatelle a ragu, which is the bolognese sauce. But Tommaso, you can only eat it with tagliatelle. No spaghetti ever. Oh, you didn't know that, did you? I didn't know that. Uh huh.
0: Well, well it looks like I know what the, I'm making next weekend. That's
1: the law. <laughs> They're also very famous for tortellini, that teeny little round shaped pasta that they make in a snap with their fingers. They roll it around their thumb, basically, and they can be filled with cheeses or herbs or fatty meats.
0: Mortadella. Mm. up mortadella.
1: I'm not sure about that. It's yes. more of a pork. I'm not sure, but oh. you can do a little research for that episode. Okay. And another one, crescentine frita. That is this... Flat, but puffy, kind of airy, bread crackery thing. But the difference is it's fried. That's the word frite. It's fried in lard. Ugh. (laughs) Lard, I have memories of my great-grandmother in Crooked Creek, Kentucky, cooking everything with lard. I will never try crescentine frite, okay? And finally, another type of bread called tigelle, which looks like, a very boring English muffin, basically. But they eat it with salumi mista, those boards of mixed cheeses and mixed meats, including mortadella, which leads us all back to la grasa. <laughs> Get it? So if you ate all of this every day, you would be la grasa also. Well, they're not la grasa. They just eat it in you moderation. You do know. You haven't been to Bologna. Well. We'll see. Yes, they do eat in moderation. That's for sure. Okay, let me dive into a few facts about this beautiful, red-roofed, erudite city. Most importantly, I think, if you know someone that's gone to Bologna, they will go again. However, if you just ask your random friend or anyone in general, oh, in Italy, have you been to Bologna? And 99% of them will say no. No, it's not on the greatest hits list. Right? So right then and there is reason to go to Bologna. I don't know why, it's not as popular, Shh, right? I know. Okay, everyone listening to this, don't share this information. We'll let you go, but don't tell anyone else. And I kind of think the only people that actually do go to Bologna are doing a combination. Like they go to the Ferrari factory, which is very interesting. Is beautiful. And the Lamborghini factory also. Yes. So they might do a little triangle of Modena where you get balsamic. Parma for the ham and Parmigiano. And then, okay, we'll go to Bologna. But anyway. Oh, sure. Why not? Again. So we'll just keep this to ourselves. Right? All right. The city's prime architectural feature, this is very, very important as well, is the portico. Covered arches are everywhere to the extent that within the city's 13th century walls, there are Thirty-eight kilometers of covered porticos. It's twenty-four miles. That's a lot. That's correct. That is a
0: wonderful walk off to all right, uh-huh the exactly. ragu and tagliatelle.
1: To think that you could walk twenty-four miles within the city under a portico covered sidewalks, incredible! I can't wait till we go and do that. I know. Thinking about Copernicus. Correct. The reason behind these. Portici, as they're called in Italian, Portico is one, Portici is plural. So the reason behind these is brilliant, the way they came about. So some very smart town council people back in the 13th century decided that public transportation was getting very costly as the city was growing. More and more people moved in. They couldn't keep up with the old-fashioned roads. So they decided to make it compulsory for each building owner to add or construct a new portico with every single new build or existing building. And this was their solution for the transportation of people just walking or these carts led by donkeys that carried all of their goods to and from. And therefore, every single person or animal or cart was covered from the elements and had easy access to all the storefronts. Then they also decided to add housing on top of these porticos for university students because previously they were just like a porch. And then they thought, oh, we need housing for all the the students that are coming to the oldest university in the world. And for those of you that don't know, most universities in Italy and basically Europe don't have student housing like we're accustomed to in America with your university Part of your tuition covers "quote unquote" a dormitory. That is nice, but really, I think back to my first dorm room in at the University of New Hampshire, and I much rather would have lived in an apartment above a portico.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, my first my first uh, dorm room at BU was like
1: cell block number nine. Yes, <laughs> cinder blocks. Boston University. Yes. Anyway, all right. So the beauty of these porticos is that they were built over the span of about a thousand years. So the styles vary dramatically. The original ones were obviously built of wood. However, then the same smart town council people, I think, said, okay, that's a fire hazard, so convert them to stone. But that's not that easy since they were, you know, supporting a structure. So there are a few wooden ones left, but there's a ton of them that are The redstone, some are rough red brick. There's a lot of fluted columns with Corinthian capitals. Those are my personal favorites. A lot of pocked limestone like we saw down in Puglia just from the, the air and the centuries. And some of these porticos don't have the normal arch for the ceiling. They have flat wooden ceilings because of the time difference you know someone maybe in late 1600s said i'm sick of arches too hard i'm going to build a flat wooden ceiling and paint it huh. you know with with depictions of whatever right so it's really really interesting so bologna over any other city in italy is the one where you need to look up and i always add that in the itineraries to my clients i send them their final pdf or the handmade book and i say don't Forget to look up. So you go to Bologna, you look up everywhere. And since we're chatting about, oh yeah, and one other thing, rainy days. If you're like on a random road trip, kind of flying by the seat of your pants and you don't have a specific itinerary, if you see like four days of rain, get yourself to Bologna because you can walk everywhere and not get wet at all. 24 miles, totally covered from the rain. Very nice. Right? Go in one gelateria come out you're dry going a ristorante you come out you're dry <laughs> right good idea and while we're talking about architectural feats let me just say the basilica of bologna is one of the largest in italy isn't that interesting did you would you have thought that
0: no i wouldn't
1: one of the largest in all of italy wow apparently about 110 years after they started construction which by the way was 1390, someone suggested adding the quote-unquote newfangled idea of the Latin cross, and that would have made it, had they implemented that and put out two different sides horizontally or perpendicularly to the the basic construction that they had going, it would have made it larger than St. Peter's in Rome, because St. Peter's was just about being finished by this time, I think that was finished in like 1505, 1506, and this church At that time frame, they suggested to do it. And I have a feeling like La Papa got into the game here and said, nope, (laughs) St. Peter's sera il più grande per sempre. That's it. St. Peter's can be the largest forever. So stop. And perhaps that's why the facade of this basilica, which I failed to mention the name, San Petronio, This facade is only halfway finished. There's marble only halfway up this massive, large church. And maybe that's why it remains like that, because that's when they stopped and said, no, you can't add on. You're finito here, you're done, and we'll leave it at that. So I find that very interesting, because it's pretty rare to see such a large church with only half of a facade. Some churches have no facade, and we've gone into this before, like in the last episode, they're proud of their history and they don't mind leaving a church that was never finished. But in this case, that's this is the largest church with only half of it. Marble on the bottom half, the top as rustic and crude looking as you can get. Reform And inside is amazing. Just incredible. All right. The last fun fact about this incredible Duomo is that the astronomer Giovanni Cassini, who most of you or most Americans Might have learned about in your math or astronomy classes. Cassini was an astronomer and a mathematician, and he designed the world's largest sundial at this church. So I had to research that because I kept thinking about those classes in general. The largest sundial I thought was in India's at the Majaraja. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a difference. I spent like a good 45 minutes trying to find this out. I think there's a difference between the longest and the largest. There's something about that. Those two words relating to a sundial. So let's leave it at this. Cassini designed a significant sundial (laughs) at the Duomo in Bologna. Okay. Va bene. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) Another architectural gem is Palazzo De Notai. Yes, another incredible notary office. Remember the one I mentioned in Perugia that was just magnificent? Same thing here. And the beautiful part about these civic buildings is they let you go inside and it is also like a museum. So if you add this, the Duomo, this notary building, the university buildings and the libraries and the colonnades and these porticos, If you add all of that together right there alone without even going into the cuisine or basically the history of Bologna. All of that alone is worth going just to see and look and walk under all this.
0: To walk under these beautiful, fantastic arcades from point to point, just sampling ragu.
1: Jeez, it always goes back to food. Allora, let me finish with this. I think I failed to mention the name of that courtyard that stopped me in my tracks at the beginning of this episode when Ana Rita and Bello walked me into that courtyard and I just was mesmerized. The name of the building is called, it's a tongue twister, Ginasio. I'm just going to spell it for you. A R C H. I-G-I-N-N-A-S-I-O, Archigenasio. If you want to Google that, do a search in images and look at it. That double-tiered arched courtyard. That site that stopped me in my tracks on the first day of Bologna on my very first trip to Italy makes me so happy to be thinking of that today as we're recording this episode on Bologna. Clearly, our next episode Better beyond the cuisine of Bologna. See, Tommaso. See, si, certo. <laughs> we'll dive into all the reasons why Italians from all over the country go there to eat. I'd like to add that this past week I received a few emails asking if I had planned itineraries of cities like Florence, Venice, or let's say, in this case, Bologna, that they could simply purchase from me. And the simple answer is no. I plan every single trip according to that specific client. I have a list of my favorite things to do or see, or my favorite restaurants in each city or village that I share with various clients. But every single trip is customized specifically to that person or couple or group of friends. Even if people come to me with their accommodations already chosen and booked, that's totally fine. I just charge an hourly rate to give them a variety of options according to their likes and desire to do something different that other tourists may not know about. And that's what will make your trip truly enjoyable. Something interesting and different and unique that you'll remember forever. So I just wanted to clarify my travel planning and hope you get in touch with me to engage me to plan a perfect trip for you as well. Grazie tanto. Ciao, ciao. (laughs) You beat me to it. Ciao, ciao, amici.